It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Just call me Swanee. Finally, Clemson Sports Talk has come back to drive time. Hello, everybody. Lawton Swan back in the saddle. Once again, it is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk for you each and every afternoon as you make your way around the great state of South Carolina and beyond. Listening to the program in the Midlands on Fox Sports Radio 1400 and the PD on Sports Radio 100.1. The Fan in Florence on 9. Excuse me. In the PD in Florida, so 100.1 The Fan, and in the Low Country on 920 AM in Manning. Good to have you here, and thank you for being a part of the show that shakes the Southland. If this is your first day, welcome. If this is your last day, we've enjoyed having you, but we hope that you will continue uh, to be a part of everything that we do for you and for the Clemson Tigers uh, and the Atlantic Coast Conference, ACC, SEC, a little a little this, a little that. We try to bring it to you today. Clemson through the eyes of the Tiger. We celebrated that series again over the weekend with our good buddy John Sacchetta. You can check out the uh, archived podcast of that right now over on our website. we got a great interview with C.J. Spiller coming up over on the website. Lots to get to from the archives as well. Uh, recruiting notes and more on ClemsonSportsTalk.com. But uh, I will say... I will say that this was a great weekend if you were a Tiger fan because my good buddy Mark Childress, of course, on Friday, we had on the program Richmond Weaver. Those guys are guests on a Thursday, Tim Beret during the college football season on a Wednesday, Don Munson, Tanner Muse, Kendall Joseph, Clemson's greatest games kicking off that series. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Some people have said to me, hey, we missed it. The good news is there is more of it coming every weekend. And to, to relive those moments. And first, I got to commend JMI Sports. I hope I don't miss anybody here. This is like giving the old Oscar presentation. <laughs> you get to the end, they start pl- playing the music. I-, I forgot to thank my parents. But uh, I hope that uh, those people who I mentioned here, from, from Mark Childress to JMI, uh, to Pronk Studios, to 9-8, I forget, 9-8 Central or 9-8 Studios, something. Anyway, the production value was incredible. It was so well done and needed during a, a time where sports has uh, fallen by the wayside because we don't have any really to get into. Uh, conversations still about whether or not uh, we will have sports in the fall. Uh, I was asked today about that. And I said, look, on June 1st, here's my assessment. I don't know what my assessment will be on July 1st or August 1st. But right now, I would say we're going to have football. There's going to be some capacity of fans. Yeah, I think so. But, man, in a sportsless world, so to speak, with limited live sports, recapping those greatest games, and games that you might not recognize, 
uh, it was fun. I enjoyed the program this weekend. I want you to chat, though, if you're watching the show uh, while watching us and, and not commenting in the thread. But make sure you're visibly watching because if you do that, uh, those will come to me or or you can text us, 803-450-0086. And you know what? I should note, you could call that number as well. So that's a great way for you to be a part of the program. Okay, back to Clemson's greatest games. That Syracuse-Clemson matchup. Of course, the storyline heading into that, which I thought they did a great job setting up, was that Kelly Bryant had not shown up at practice. And I think many of you will remember those days very well because although from his performance in Atlanta against Georgia Tech the previous weekend, you you felt like I could remember sitting in the press box that day and thinking, ooh, we may be witnessing the changing of the guard here. We may be seeing a shift in who is the quote-unquote leader of this team. And, and, and in fairness to Kelly Bryant, who I've reached out to about coming on this program, and the door will always be open. I think he's got tremendous stories. I'd love to hear about being on the campus that year, the remainder of that football season, and uh, watching, your, watching your friends get after it and go 15 and 0 in the national championship but you know from Kelly Bright's standpoint it it still it was not a good look leaving the program completely and i i think that that was always the thing and this would be the thing that i would absolutely ask him what was the thought process behind not just writing it out and I don't mean riding it out on the, the bench in a uniform. I mean just saying, hey, coach, look, I want to transfer. I want to preserve my year, four games. I'd still like to be a part of the team. And maybe Kelly says, you know what, Swanee, that's what I wanted to do, and coach wouldn't let me. I don't think that's the case. That would not be the case as, as I would assume it based on all the evidence that we have. But you could have done that, and you could have still been a part of things, even though maybe Tiger fans would have looked at it in a strange way. But – in that moment, in that Syracuse game, when Trevor Lawrence gets injured, from the standpoint of Clemson Tiger fans from coast to coast, who first had to wrap their minds around early in the week that Kelly Bryant was not at practice. Uh, well, first, you had, I guess you had to wrap your mind around the fact that he had been supplanted as the number one. That may have bothered some people because, again, there had to be some loyalty to a a young man that led Clemson to the number one ranking in the college football playoff the previous season, heading in uh, to that matchup that they faced Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. And so I think there were reservations at that point in the season from some, but many people still were loyal. And felt like, okay, Kelly Bryant proved a year ago that he was good enough to get you to the, uh, to the college football playoff. And so that was part of it. Then you had him leaving. And then when you knew he wasn't going to be a part of the team, okay, well, now Trevor's the guy. But maybe more importantly, Chase Bryce goes from 
being third string to second string, and it doesn't take long in that game before the nightmare scenario that I think everybody played out with Kelly Bryant's decision. What do we do if Trevor Lawrence gets hurt? And as I mentioned with Richmond Weaver on the program on Friday, the way Lawrence was hit and the way he rolled over very gingerly, very gingerly, it looked like it could have been a collarbone. That was my initial hunch watching it. And what you know if it's a collarbone is it's not going to be good for the rest of the year for Trevor Lawrence and Chase Bryce has now got to be the guy and, and Kelly Bryant's you know, taking his ball and, and, and sort of gone home at that point. You can't welcome him back with open arms and go, Kelly, my man, we were so mistaken. What a, you can't do that. So you're at this point where, okay, Chase Bryce, set, go. And Clemson's down at the half, not to give away the entire show by any means, if you haven't seen it, but you were there, you remember it, or you watched it. But Clemson's down at the half, and a, a shift in mindset, so to speak. And Ross Taylor, who was a guest on this program recently, archiving uh, his life in sports and sharing some of his, you know, his route to being the new SID at Clemson for football, you know, it comes down to, okay, here we are. And he says, Dabo Sweeney knows they got to go old school. And after the game, Dabo Sweeney notes that, man, Danny Ford and, and, and Gene Stallings would be clinking a beer right now because that was old school football. But Clemson had to resort to the legs of Travis Etienne uh, to find their way past Syracuse. And again, the other storyline, and I thought Mark Childress captured this too, that maybe wasn't lost per se prior to that game until Kelly Bryant leaves was the fact that Clemson had lost to Syracuse the previous season on the road in the Carrier Dome, and Kelly Bryant had gotten injured in that ball game. He had come into that game hampered, then he got injured and knocked out of that game, and Clemson wasn't able to come away with a victory on the road. So all of that combines into this heaping storyline. And if you go, well, why is that one of Clemson's greatest games? They did that wasn't a national championship win. I mean, if you're going to do the greatest games, don't the national title games have to be there? Well, as Tim Bray pointed out on this program last week, if Clemson doesn't beat Syracuse in that ball game, Syracuse wins the Atlantic Division, and that was the fifth week of the regular season. Syracuse didn't lose a, a game in the league outside of that one. And so, potentially... You would have been, or they lost one other game, but potentially flip-flopped that. They would have had a 7-1 record. Clemson would have had a 7-1 record, and they would, have hold, they would have held the tiebreaker. So they actually did lose one additional game. But it, that's neither here nor there for this argument. Clemson wouldn't have made it to the ACC championship game, which means even given the boatloads of success that the Tigers have had in recent years... They may have been looked over because they wouldn't have been the Atlantic Coast Conference champions. They wouldn't have had an Atlantic Coast Conference championship game to go play in. 
you can see where this would potentially spiral into a scenario where the Tigers are in a great bowl, not in the college football playoff. 803-450-0086. If you saw it, text us. If you're watching the show, comment. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on on Clemson's greatest games and the job uh, that was done to put that series together. And the other thing, too, I know that Mark Childress had been really digging on this thing for a while and been wanting to put it together. But I, I think the opportunity of COVID-19 and a lack of live sports certainly advanced it. But I can tell you they got this thing together in a hurry. But it was phenomenal. I mean, it was great. And, and quite frankly, it probably should serve as an example of what should be done more often at the end of a college football season. Quite frankly, and this is no offense to uh, the Dabo Sweeney show or any of these coaches shows that you see on a Sunday afternoon after a college football game, and I don't expect this type of production level to be put in place uh, in that timeline, right? But this was 10 times better than a coach's show, in my opinion, and would be an excellent example of what could be potentially at the end of every season. I mean, if you think about it, once baseball season sort of wraps up, which I don't know the exact date that the uh, College World Series was going to be ending uh, this year. Let's see. College World Series. Let's see what the scheduled dates. Ends on the 24th if the College World Series were beginning. It would be beginning next week, 13th. What was that? No, that's later this week. It would be the beginning of the College World Series. The College World Series was set to end on June 24th. So, if you assume a regular season of 12 games, maybe a couple of games that you can leave out here or there for whatever reason, maybe it's just not a team that you're overly uh, excited about looking at or following, I'm not so certain that Clemson's Greatest Games, a series that Mark and those guys have created, wouldn't be a perfect Let's see, you got the weekend of, just seeing how many weeks there are. One, two, I, I think you got enough weeks in the summer, honestly, to to put something like this together on a more regular basis. And I don't know if an hour of programming is something that the networks would be willing to do, the stations around the state would be willing to do, but if you wanted to, you could do instead six weeks, which I know you have time for, leading up to the season and do hour one or 30 minute one being one game, 30 minute two being another game and, you know, cover the entire year, I guess seven, eight weeks. If you add in, if you play a 15 game schedule, if you're as fortunate as Clemson has been over the past couple of seasons. So past few years, I loved it. It was great. I can't wait till next week. Uh, they're going to be doing the 2016 Clemson Louisville game, uh, better known for by most people probably as Deshaun Watson versus Lamar Jackson, and uh, the matchup that took place in Death Valley. And so to get the inside scoop on that, but to hear the players' perspectives on it, to 
get the perspective of a guy like Tim Beret or, or or even you know play by play man like Don Munson was unique, and then uh, you get the you know aspect of Richmond Weaver, whose you know Rich Take on Sports is a fantastic uh, podcast covering uh, all all genres of sports and and uh, different human beings telling their stories. You need to go check out that podcast, but also a bit of the fan side, too, uh, from Richmond as well. And then Mark Childress, who's one of the hosts of the Tiger Tailgate Show, kind of giving his insight. It was great. If you missed it, I I saw Mark tweet that there would be an opportunity. They were working on an opportunity for those to be streamed somewhere. I said, man, hit me up. We'll we'll host them. We'll put them on ClemsonSportsTalk.com. And if people don't like typing, they can just go to ClemsonRadio.com and save themselves some keystrokes. I'll host them. Absolutely, I'll host them. I got a sneaky feeling you guys were getting some feedback on the uh, Facebook page. Maybe getting a little double uh, double convo. I never checked on that. I forgot to mute it. It's possible. But I think I, I think I did get it straightened out now. Maybe y'all weren't. I hope you weren't. <laughs> anyway, I just forgot to mute one line uh, on a, well, what day is this? On a Monday afternoon. 803 450 You know what? I'm going to check that. I'm going to flip that switch real quick and see if you do get double audio. I don't think, I know the radio station is not. I wonder if you are, though. I'd love to. I'd love to know because if you are, then I know to cut it off. And if you're not, I don't have to mess with it. Yeah, you do. Dang it! <laughs> so I gotta cut that off. All right. That was uh, that was fantastic. Apologize for the first little bit. <laughs> Sorry you had to hear that in an echo chamber. Feel like you were at graduation. <laughs> Felt like you know. Hey, that's how we do it. Just give me your graduate graduation list. I'll read your your kids' names off, and uh, if you're watching on Facebook, that echo makes it sound uh, legit. You know, one day I, I did do the show without that, and for whatever reason, I didn't get the echo. I don't know what the um, difference is. I don't think it goes over the air though, which is a positive, which is a good thing. So. Sorry you had to hear that. Now, I'll tell you what we do have coming up for you, though. Clemson through the eyes of the Tiger. Uh, we had John Saquette on the program recently to talk about this fantastic book. Again, it is a wonderful read. So many great stories. My good buddy Mike Bays is a huge part of this. He was the Tiger back when I was in school, but really documenting uh, so many of those stories from guys who were the mascot at Clemson University. And Dale Gilbert, who is the PA announcer at Clemson Football Games, narrated this book so that we could share it with you here on the show. And so we've got that for you. We're going to run a part of Chapter 2 here today. We, I, I could have given you the whole thing today, but that's probably a little bit much. So we're going to give you part of Chapter 2 today. We'll get you the conclusion of Chapter 2 tomorrow, and then... What we'll try to do over the next few weeks on Monday and, if necessary, on Tuesday during the first, uh, second, and third segments of the show, if we need that much time, we're going to try to give you that audio so that you can uh, sit back, relax, and uh, hear the stories from the guys who are in the suits. And uh, I think you're going to really 
enjoy what we've got coming up for you. So stay with us here. Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger is narrated by Dale Gilbert right after this. Clemson Sports Talk, Lawton Swan on a Monday, and we shared some stories from Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger with John Sacchetti here on the program several weeks ago, and I know we ran some of these stories, but we sort of got away from it. We want to get back into it here on every Monday afternoon with you. So we begin with Steve Morrison, who was a Clemson student back in the 60s. Steve was the number one Tiger in 1960 and 1961. He received a BS in civil engineering in 1963 and was originally from Myrtle Beach. Steve Morrison passed away in 2017. Here are his memories of Clemson through the eyes of the Tiger, including the memories of several other former Tigers. The book is narrated by Clemson PA announcer Dale Gilbert. I followed my roommate, Bill McCown, who was the Tiger the previous year. During my year as the Tiger, McCown was the cannoneer. That's a military term to define a soldier who fires artillery in support of infantry. And by the end of my senior year, I had been the Tiger, the Cannoneer, and the Head Cheerleader. The greatest feeling I had being the Tiger was at the historic first game against South Carolina to be played at Clemson. During that game, Bill fired the cannon toward an intoxicated South Carolina fan, and the pressure from the blank shell caused the fan to lose his hat as he fell backwards. Like this fan... The Gamecocks fell two to the Tigers in Memorial Stadium that day. Final score, Clemson 12, South Carolina 2. Since this first historic win in Death Valley, Memorial Stadium's nickname since 1948, the Tigers are 19-10-1 at home and 19-11 at Williams-Brice Stadium in Columbia going into the 2020 season against their in-state rival. It's very sad to announce that we lost a member of the Clemson family when Jim Lloyd passed away during the writing of this book in 2015. Jim was looking forward to submitting his stories about his experiences as the Tiger after a vacation with his wife, Karen. Jim Lloyd was the number one Tiger during the 1961-62 academic year. Jim earned a Bachelor of Science degree in education in 1962. Jim lived in Alexandria, Virginia. His hometown was Edgefield, South Carolina. Our third Tiger in the 60s was Robert Bob Trogdon. Bob was the number one Tiger during the 1962-63 academic year. Bob earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in English in 1963. His hometown, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Here is Bob's story. Like most mascots during the early years, I was allowed to climb up on the crossbar of the goalpost prior to the game. Then we climbed again during the game when the Tigers were headed in the opposite direction of where we were sitting. Having a high school gymnastics background definitely gave me an advantage with this attic. Today, I look at the collapsible goalpost in Death Valley, and I think how much easier it would be to get up on the crossbar if I stood on it as they raced it back into place before a game. Technology is great, however, rule changes have taken the fun out of the game for the current mascots. The last two games of the 1962 season were very memorable. The first unforgettable memory was at the University of Maryland, located in College Park, Maryland. Whenever Clemson travels to Maryland, it's customary to visit the historic sites of Washington. Everyone knows how college students like to sleep in, and tourist sites are not high on their list. 
Several of us thought it was more important to sleep than to visit the 35th President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, in the White House. A year later, when President Kennedy was assassinated, I realized that choosing to sleep was a mistake on my part. The next day, I was walking into Bird Stadium on the Maryland campus, holding the tiger head in my hands. All of a sudden, I was surrounded by Maryland students trying to steal the head. On this day, they never got the head because some of the Clemson football players came to my rescue. And final score that day was Clemson 17, Maryland 14. A week later, South Carolina came to Tigertown for the season finale. Many families in the state of South Carolina are split, with half the family cheering for the Gamecocks and the other half for the Tigers. On this afternoon, two Spartanburg natives were on the opposite side of the field as mascots. Bobby Downswell was cocky, and I was the Tiger. With a minute 42 remaining in the game, Rodney Rogers kicked the winning field goal for the Tigers. I have been married since 1965. We have two children and five grandchildren. After a year as the Tiger, I was the Cannoneer the next year. Although you're a lot more comfortable out of the suit, you still have to worry about the opposing fans. While attending a game at Duke, members of one of their fraternities took the cannon. It was returned after they had painted it blue with a blue devil design on the front of the dolly, the cart with wheels on it which the cannon is mounted for easy transportation. And the final score that day was Duke 35, Clemson 30. Again, appreciate John Saketa and, of course, Dale Gilbert's fantastic reading there, part of Chapter 2 of Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger. We'll try to play a little bit more of that coming up for you here after the break, and then we'll get back into the uh, more current conversations of everything going on in the world of sports. But, you know, John Saketa has been so kind to share this book with us. And, again, I, I can tell you, you can pick it up online on Amazon. I would encourage you to go to one of our sponsors like the Tiger Sports Shop in Clemson, tigersports.com, and put your hands on it. It is a fantastic read and a great look from a different perspective uh, at the university that you love. 803-450-0086. That's your number today, 803-450-0086. And again, we appreciate each and every one of you for being a part of the program, supporting us as we grow, and we'd love to have you head over to clemsonsportstalk.com if you get a minute. Consider subscribing. We're going to be giving away some Clemson Sports Talk National Championship t-shirts to some of our subscribers. We're going to be giving some away to some people who are just members on our site without subscribing. All of that coming up over the summer. I can't wait to start mailing those out to you. And again, uh, that is ClemsonSportsTalk.com where just $63.17 can get you a yearly subscription. Continue to help us grow and support us as we do grow with you. Again, we hit a quick break. We come back with more from Chapter 2 of Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger. Clemson Sports Talk on a Monday afternoon and again rolling along with Chapter 2 of Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger. Uh, Man, it's great to hear Dale Gilbert's voice and I know many of you are hoping to be able to be inside Death Valley to hear Dale Gilbert 
this year? Well, we pick it up with Jim Gibson, who was the number one Tiger from 1963 to 1964. He has a BA in history from Clemson and his Juris Doctorate from Georgia. Jim's originally from South Carolina. Here are his stories through the eyes of the Tiger and several others. I need to say thank you to Tommy Page, who was the head cheerleader. He asked and I agreed to become the next Tiger. The suit was a cheap costume made out of cloth, nothing like today's suit. Unlike the change made to the location of the Clemson-South Carolina game, which is now alternated between schools, we played Georgia Tech at historic Grant Field in Atlanta until 1974. On this day, the historic field was ankle-deep in water. What a mess. Final score that day was number 9 Georgia Tech 27, Clemson nothing. Two weeks later, it was 84 degrees in Clemson when the Georgia Bulldogs visited Death Valley. Unfortunately, there was a sudden cold snap during the first half of the game. As the temperature plunged to 57 degrees, it began to rain, and then the rain turned to golf ball-sized hail, which covered the field. Fans began to panic as they raced for protection under the stands. The second half was delayed for 30 minutes due to the weather conditions. Well, today, weather technology allows game management officials enough time to warn fans to proceed to a safe location away from lightning, heavy rain, or like that day, big hail. Final score, Clemson 7, Georgia 7. On Friday, November 22, 1963, President Kennedy was assassinated, prompting the rescheduling of our football game against South Carolina. The next week, who could forget that picture of John Kennedy Jr. standing next to his older sister Caroline, saluting his father's casket as it was carried by a horse-drawn caisson to Arlington Cemetery. Three days later, we played South Carolina. It was the only time the two rivals have battled each other on Thanksgiving Day. Final score, Clemson 24, South Carolina 20. Not many students had cars. So in front of the old library, now Sykes Hall, there was an area known as the Bumming Line. One sign read Greenville, the other Columbia. Thumbing a ride home was easy. Now returning was a different story. There was an unwritten code that if you found a ride back, you would share it with fellow students. Dr. R.C. Edwards was considered to be one of Clemson's most popular presidents, serving from 1958 to 1979. One Saturday when I was home in Sumter, Dr. Edwards called the house. He and Dean Ken Vickery, for whom Vickery Hall is named, the controller, would be returning to Clemson on Sunday after a meeting in Sumter. We were familiar with each other because his two-year-old granddaughter, Laura Reed, was always around me at the football pep rallies. To say I was surprised was an understatement. When I hung up the phone, my father asked who had called, and I said, Dr. Edwards? My father said, I don't need any of your smart answers. Well, he, like two of my friends who thought it was a joke, finally believed me when Dr. Edwards picked us up the next day. During my year as the Tiger, I was dating my future wife, Louise Wheezy Williman, daughter of Jean Williman. Jean was the business manager for Clemson Athletics and the executive secretary of IPTE. IPTE, which stood for I Pay Ten a Year, is an organization founded in 1934 to raise money for student-athlete scholarships by having the members donate $10 per year. Jerry Burton was the Tiger who wasn't a number one Tiger in 1963. Jerry earned a Bachelor of Science degree in textile management. His hometown, Calhoun Falls, South Carolina. Here is his story on how he wasn't the Tiger. 
1963, I went to the movie theater in downtown Clemson to watch Four for Texas. It was a movie featuring the breathtaking Ursula Andress, Dean Martin, and Frank Sinatra. Today, the movie theater is the Tiger's Sports Shop. My wristwatch stopped during the movie, so I missed my four o'clock cheerleading group picture for Taps. When the yearbook came out, I was listed as being the tiger in the picture, even though I never had my picture taken. After graduation, I was away from home serving in the U.S. Army. While away, my mom had looked through the 1964 Taps and told all her family and friends that I was the tiger. Upon returning home, I remembered one day being with some friends and my sister, Kathy. Kathy was telling them that I was the tiger when I was in college. I told her and the group it was a mistake and how I missed the group picture. Kathy was proud of her brother and said, Yes, you were. Mom said that you were. Well, I guess I should have agreed because I had printed proof. It was in taps. Midway through the 60s, Marvin Poe Green became the number one Tiger during the 1965-66 academic year. Pogue earned a Bachelor of Science degree in pre-professional studies in 1968 and a Doctor of Veterinary Medicine degree in 1971 from the University of Georgia, his hometown, Rock Hill, South Carolina. Here is Pogue's story. In 1965, we defeated North Carolina State 21-7 and Virginia 20-14 to open the season. Our third game would be the first Saturday in October when the Fighting Tigers visited Atlanta to play the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. The week leading up to the game, I'd been working on a stunt at night in Death Valley. During the game, I was hoisted onto the crossbar of the goalpost by the cheerleaders. And before you knew it, there I was walking across the horizontal bar. I made it all the way across without falling. It was well known that Georgia Tech fraternity pledges had a bounty on my tiger tail. After the game, I was chased by the pledges, but I beat them to the dressing room and the safety of our football players. I had been given a heads-up by a Tech cheerleader, so I knew I needed to get off the field quickly. On Monday after the game, I had a note in my mailbox from Dean Walter Cox, and the note threatened me to within an inch of my life if I ever did that stunt again. So it was the one and only time I was on that crossbar. Final score, Georgia Tech 38, Clemson 6. So there you go, another great memory from Clemson through the eyes of the Tiger. And we've actually got the conclusion of Chapter 2 coming up for you tomorrow. We'll make sure uh, we give you all that here on the program. And I I told John Cicchetto when he came on, we were going to be sharing these things over the summer. And and now that we've officially hit it, right? Beach music days here on the show that shakes the Southland. We will make sure that we get uh, those out there for you. And I, I hope that you are doing very well Uh, as we move towards, hopefully, a college football season. 803-450-0086 as your text line. That is also your phone line. If you want to give us a call, leave us a message, and we'll work you into the program. We come back with more of the show that shakes the Southland on a Monday afternoon. Again, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. You can get there, ClemsonRadio.com. Stay with us. It is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson, Clemson Sports, Sports Talk, Talk with Lawton Swan on Columbia's home Lawton Sports. Swan staying with you, hanging out with you here uh, on a Monday afternoon. 
And, of course, appreciate each and every one of you being a part of the show and uh, hanging out and just uh, spending time talking about uh, those great memories that John Saketa uh, put together in the book. Again, it is, is a great read uh, if you are not familiar with it. It is Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger. So there you go. Now, speaking of Clemson University, uh, they did put out a statement. There was a post made recently that uh, focused on uh, Clemson University and some potential racist um, guy. I don't know what the best way to – I don't know. Extreme racist message, I think, might be the best way to put it. And it turns out after doing some researching that the account was not a Clemson student. Uh, It apparently, according to uh, a story in the Greenville News, uh, had some inconsistencies – And uh, it's believed that this was just the act of an internet, quote, troll who were creating fake accounts to spread disinformation, uh, if you will. And I I know that for so many people out there, uh, these are very tough and trying times and and nothing could be uh, more frustrating than to have a cause that you stand for be I'll, I'll best maybe the best phrase I can think of would be um, st- I get maybe stymied is that the right word just kind of held up to a degree um, and 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 not necessarily in the standpoint of not getting your point across but by influencing people to believe things that aren't true and, and try to cause this uh Ah, God, it's tough. It's tough because, you know, we know how important and invaluable um, these moments are for our country. And it doesn't help when people, as this statement says, operate under false pretenses to present something, a narrative that's simply not true from Clemson's standpoint. And so I think that's dangerous. And I, you know, this is one of those scenarios where I think you really have to exercise caution based on what you see online. And I'll give you another example of that. And that came out this weekend. It was uh, Dabo Sweeney uh, at a pool with his arms around some individuals with a shirt that says football matters on it. Now, I will tell you that the Football Matters movement, and Trevor Lawrence came to his defense about this, the Football Matters shirts have been in existence for a long time, several years now, I think back to 2017. And these shirts were really about the positive influence that football has on so many individuals, not just uh, you know the athletes, but people as student athletes, trainers, uh, et cetera. I mean, it's bigger than just, you know, the games on the field on Saturdays. Now, the National Football Foundation, who is a nonprofit that, you know, develops scholarship, citizenship, and athletic achievement for young people is sort of where that came from. And they have since said they're going to be changing the, you know, that quote, football matters. But the bigger thing is Dabo Sweeney's taking a lot of heat for this, right? And I've reached out to find out if this is an actual photo. There's a couple of things going on in this picture that don't make sense to me. 
Uh, first off, it's hard for me to imagine that Dabo Sweeney would not still be uh, doing some semblance of social distancing at this point. Okay, that's number one. I'm not telling you that you have to stay away from everybody, but I do think that the majority of people would say, yeah, you know what, it's probably best to, uh, what's the old phrase, better better safe than sorry. I just don't see Dabo putting his arms around a ton of people he doesn't know. Uh, <laughs> just at a pool that appears to be like in Hawaii, some tropics. But the, the post said that, that was originally tagged, said that it was Dabo at the reserve, I think, which... This just doesn't look right. And then there's also the case of, I'm a Photoshop guy, and I'm not telling you this is Photoshop, but it has a tinge of Photoshop. Looking at the uh, numbers here, from the feet on Dabo Sweeney to the weird shadows to how the chairs behind them look. There's a lot of things going on with this photo that don't make sense uh, for me. But it's not, not to say that it's, it's fake, but it just doesn't look all that real. And I'm not even sure if the Football Matters shirt is a real shirt, although I know he has one because Trevor Lawrence verified that. I don't believe this. I'm going to tell you, I reached out to find out. I haven't got confirmation. I don't think this is a recent photo. I think this is an older photo. And I think this, again, stems back to trolls on social media trying to do whatever they can to knock down Clemson's brand. That's my opinion. I might be completely wrong. Dabble might have taken this photo yesterday. But I did see some players, even Jalen Lay, say, man, there ain't no way that's real. Dabble's not on the trip right now. And, of course, that could be the backdrop of South Carolina. But, boy, it does not look like it to me from where uh, I sit and looking at it. The odd thing about it, their posture and their stance feels a lot more like they are on the beach, although the reflections in the glasses certainly uh, appear to be uh, legitimate reflections on the glasses as well. 803-450-0086, that's your number. Hour number two, William Qualkenbush uh, set to join the program coming up here. In just a few minutes, we'll talk with him about everything that he's got going on up in Tigertown. It has been a crazy, crazy couple of days, I know. And uh, we'll get his thoughts on this photo uh, and a lot more. And again, I think you got to be cautious with everything on the Internet because there are people out there that are trying to undermine uh, the true task at hand. And that's, that's, that's bad news. You, you just can't fall for all that stuff. Got to be safe out there uh, on the Internet. Again, 803-450-0086. We had a break. We come back with more of the show that shakes the Southland. It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Ready, Just call me Swanee. Tiger style. Tiger style. It is. 
is our number two. That's Drive Time right here on the show that shakes the Southland. Lawton Swan hanging out with you. William Qualkenbush set to join us. And I got to tell you, my dad, my dad texted me during the thing. He was like, uh, yeah, the uh, something was up with the commercials. Yeah, I know. That was me. I apologize to anybody listening wherever you are if you got commercials. I um, actually, you know, when you're working with this thing, sometimes it can uh, get a little squirrely on you and jumped up and. That's exactly what happened for me. And so I think I may have accidentally hit the uh, commercial button. But that's doing it on the uh, at the house, you know, when you're not in studio and you kind of are doing things virtually. So I hope I didn't mess that up too much. I tried to fix it at the back end of the break. And, uh, again, you know, I guess that's going to be one of the things. Part of the reason that I couldn't quite get my, my point across uh, as well, like if it felt like before I wasn't making much sense on what I was trying to say about the fake uh, images because – in my brain, I was having to do a lot of work. So you get to peek behind the curtain. That's what was going on. But I think I finally did get my, my point across it. In this day and age, you have to be cautious with what you see and what you believe and, and what you hear and, and you know, multiple sources. Like, I, I feel like I'm a, a teacher in elementary school, which I am, oddly, but also uh, just teach people multiple sources. Don't just take things for at face value. You got to be cautious. William Quackenbush knows all about that. Quack, what's up, big guy? Swanee, I feel like it's been a minute. How you been, brother? I'm good, man. I was just saying, you know, we saw the incident where there was a tweet or a post that came out that appeared to be a, a Clemson student that had some extremely racist. Uh, I don't know what the term is. Uh, it's certainly not overtones, but it was completely racist. And people are like, hey, this kid can't go to Clemson. These things get retweeted, retweeted, and retweeted. And then after some investigation, Clemson finds out that this isn't even a student and it appears to be more of an internet troll. So that's kind of where I wanted to start with you today because I was trying to get that point across it. In this day and age, man, you cannot simply, you know, the old phrase, don't judge a book by its cover, That's that still looms true today. But even if you sometimes feel like you've read the book because of the cover, you can't always be certain that what you're seeing is true. Well, I agree with you. And look, I, I, uh, I led our show today with this because I think it's, it's very important to get into the psyche of what Clemson people are, are feeling. And so I spoke for a few minutes about this because, you know, I've had a, I've had a hard time with the folks who, um, you know, they, they sort of will defend Dabo for anything. You know, you've got the class of people who are, are constantly against Dabo, and they're being, you know, they're, they're meeting the people who are would defend Dabo no matter what he did. And I think Dabo's a good person. I'm going to defend Dabo probably 99% of the time. I mean, I think he could have made a little bit better statement. I didn't expect him to say anything but what he said. And so a lot of the criticism, I think, is unfounded, and people have an unrealistic expectation. I'll just leave that alone, though, because I think as people defend Dabo, you start wondering, okay, like, why is the defense of Dabo so vehement? Why are people so negative and so defensive of him toward anybody who really just asked, I think, some generally fine questions like, is Dabo going to make a second statement? Is he going to address any of these allegations? Right. Is he going to stand up for his program anyway? He really hasn't. And so I, I went through it with, with using this example and saying, okay, now you have a, a, a situation where a, a – person somebody out there created a fake racist attached that fake racist just out of the blue don't know how they came up with it just just randomly chose to affiliate that fake racist 
with Clemson. Right. And then the school says it's trolls that have done it. And you know how this has worked with the social media mob that comes out where it's sort of like a lawsuit where you, you, you pick the eight highest paid people in the company and you just sue them all, knowing that if you, you know, the more big names you put on the lawsuits can be good. So you, you tag Clemson football, Clemson athletics, Clemson right. university, Jim Clemens, Dan Matakovich, all these people in the say, you got to deal with this. This is bad. This is bad stuff. This person is very, 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 very bad. They get a million retweets and, and likes. And so it goes around that because Clemson is deeply racist, they are, they are admitting racist students and they are just passively sitting by while racism is just rolling through the halls. Now, does it mean that there are no races at Clemson? No. I mean, we've seen a couple students that posted some horrible things, and they've been dealt with. But it's the idea that this has happened literally one. I mean, I said, what other schools are there? One person said it probably happens more places than we know. And I said, I, I mean, I'm good with that. I just haven't heard it. How is Clemson the only one? How is Dabo the only coach? How is this the only program and the only fan base and the only group of people that are constantly having to defend themselves against either outright lies and fabrications or half-truths or trumped-up charges? Why is nobody else in any of these other situations – I'm sorry, I'm getting worked up on this – in any other one of these situations, why why are there not former players coming by the dozens to defend any of these other coaches? Why are none of these programs seeing – People who are also in the room saying, yeah, dog, that's not how that happened. Why are none of these other allegations coming out that are, that are either half true or not true or, or lack context or anything like that? Dabo Swinney is the only one, the only coach who's being linked with racism, who is being outright uh, defended by people who are in the room when these accusations are being made. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, this is why people are so vehemently in defense of Dabo. Because Clemson University is under attack. Dabo Swinney is under attack. Clemson football is under attack. And there's no other program where it feels like these random allegations that aren't happening to anybody else are directed toward Clemson. And so I I said it today. If you're a Clemson fan and you feel like that Clemson is under assault and under attack for some reason, then I, the evidence probably supports that. And I'm not a huge – I love a good conspiracy theory, but in the real world, I'm not yeah. a huge conspiracy theorist. I think, I think stuff is just not explained easily by conspiracy theories. In this case, it seems really odd that Dabo is the coach under the most scrutiny in the country right now, even though there are a bunch of other allegations out there that haven't gotten away. And Clemson, because of Tillman Hall and because of the racist past and all these things, is under significant scrutiny right now that he only – school that I know of that has had to defend allegations of racism from a fake student created and aligned with the university. It is absolute insanity that Clemson appears to be the target of somebody who wants to, to, wants to pin racism on it. And I just can't figure it out. And I am tired I'm absolutely tired of Clemson being the, the one school that has to deal with this one. I really am. He's on Twitter at Qualt Talk each and every day in the Upstate 105.5, the Roar 12 to 3 out of bounds with Qualk and Kelly. So I, I saw the photo this weekend as well of Dabo Sweeney at a pool with a football matters shirt on, which, you know, kind of raised some eyebrows for a lot of people. And then the, the tweet was deleted. Uh, I have since verified that that's an actual photo. It's not photoshopped. Although it, I got to admit, I'm a Photoshop guy. There were some strange, the way the chairs look, the shadows, but uh, I have confirmed that it is an actual photo. Your thoughts on that? 
Well, I mean, well, I, I, there are a couple things that we need to know. First of all, Dabo's when he's not living on social media. So a lot of the criticism of him, I think he knows that there's criticism. I think he knows that people, so a lot of people would like him to speak. I think that he, he knows that there are national voices calling for it. He just doesn't see it all the time like, like we do, like a lot of the fans who have got his back or his former players or staffers or anybody like that. Yeah. And so he is not thinking, what can I do to make this go away? He doesn't know what's there. He's not in it every day. So he puts on a shirt that says Football Matters, which is the slogan of the National Football Foundation. Football Foundation, right. And he's given a lot of talks about Football Matters along the way. This is a shirt that means a, a very specific thing to him. It's, he's not, he is not trying to troll black – I mean, please, he is not trying to do this. Uh, and, and people who brought it up, the Dan Walkins in the world, who legitimately are trying to get dab over on a, a legitimate witch hunt, they want to see a pound of flesh just so they can say, well – we're sorry that it happened, but this is a serious day. That, that's all that the Dan Walkins of the world want. They ran with this like, oh, you got to know better than that. you got to be more uh, – you can't be that tone deaf. What tone? If he had shown up in a white tee, you'd have been saying, why is he wearing white right now? That feels, that feels a little iffy, doesn't it? Can't he read the room? Shouldn't he read the room? I don't know what Dad was supposed to do. I, does he have to uh, get a, a, a curated list of things he's allowed to wear in public while everybody's mad at him? I don't know. I don't know why people are so upset about Dabo wearing this T-shirt that means a lot of significant things. As if because Dabo didn't quite speak to the level of concern that his players have, or some of his former players have, with the Black Lives Matter movement, because he didn't specifically address police brutality, that means that he's spending all his days trying to figure out how to troll Black Lives Matter. Again, I think this is silliness. I yeah. think this is a witch hunt. I think this is uh, this is people reading way too much and assuming way too much Dabo when the explanation is quite simple, as a matter of fact. Qualt, let me ask you this. From that standpoint, do you expect more out of Clemson? Because I've heard rumblings that there might be something coming soon. We've seen other programs. I saw Jeff Scott speaking uh, in the, the streets. I, I know Will Muschamp and the South Carolina Gamecocks had a little peaceful protest and got guys registered to vote. Um, are you hearing the same things that I am, that Clemson is indeed going to be doing some more on this front? Yeah, they're going to be doing something. And I think as a part of that, uh, Dabo's going to have to make an appearance to some degree. And so he's going to have to speak to some of these things. He might say something very simple. I think at this point, for a lot of people, it's not really about winning for him. Like, he can't really reclaim what some people think was lost. Um, he's not going to win any battles or, you know, have, have any victories from a PR standpoint. Yeah. But I do think he could stop the bleeding a little bit to his reputation if he just addressed some of these things. Um, I think there's been enough pushback of the DJ Greenlee story that all they have to do is say it was handled. It's not appropriate. Um, I, you know, I didn't know it was, you know, that 40 people were, I'm just making up that number. Right, right. Upset. In fact, I've talked, to, I've talked to former players that said Me too. they didn't, you know, it was, plausible that only a couple of players knew about it you know yeah. that that it was it was dj and uh and mylon richard well, so i do think that he i do think that he could uh he could say a little bit more on it so it, it begs the question though more so about canyon tuttle's tweet and the inaccuracies of it you know that is where this whole thing really gets rolling right yes and you know i Dabo has Dabo hasn't addressed that. He hasn't addressed the other allegation of saying the M word when they were showing Mike Reed around. Uh, you know, right, he, right. I feel like he needs to just put, he needs to just put this stuff to bed and say, look, there's nothing to this. Um, people around the program know me. They can just say that because a lot of people have 
uh, had full-throated support for him and really full-throated opposition to the the uh, the account of events that uh, that Candy Tuttle and uh, the other walk-ons that had the uh, the second allegation put out there. I mean, he he. I think he does have to say something, you know. Um, and we know Dabo. He doesn't. I, there's there's this thought out that Dabo is like over here organizing press gaggles and calling press conferences and 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 just throwing these opinions out hither and yon, and he just didn't do it this one time. We yeah. know that Dabo, whenever there is a media event, he will answer questions asked. And so the next time the media asks him a question, I think he will answer it. I th- I think, too, and this is where I've really – I've had several people ask me on their shows about this. I think there is something, especially when you do this for a living, what you and I do, there are many days where you might walk out and feel like, oh, man, I don't think I quite hit the mark with my message. And yep. you and I have two and three hours to do so. I think to be able to stand up and speak the way Dabo Swindy did, whether he checked all the boxes that every person wanted him to check or not, I think that speaking to me has much more power than just a statement on a piece of paper that could be a you know pieced together by your PR department. Oh, I agree. Our, our friend Dutch Coleman has great thoughts on this. He's like, I don't care as much about the, that statement that you put out on Twitter that you you know, over and over and over again was edited to make sure you got everything exactly right. I don't know what you do. And so from a public relations standpoint in the moment, I'm not sure that Dabo really understood this, but I think a statement that wasn't curated exactly so that didn't say all the right buzzwords, I don't think that that was exactly what the moment required, but that is the the way that he chose to address it. And again, I'll say – I don't know if it's right or wrong, but if you were expecting Dabo Sweeney to speak deeply into the heart of racial injustice and police brutality and racism in the country and not into faith conquers all and what I would consider to be, and this is where it kind of missed the mark a little bit for me, where you're bringing like a theological remedy to a practical problem. You know, like I, I understand where he's coming from. I understand where some people might have thought that there was a gap there. And if he had done the statement route, if he had gone the statement or Twitter post route, then it, it might have been a little bit cleaner. This is the way he does it, though. And because he does it like that, everyone should have expected him to do it that way. And when he addresses it again, it's going to be the same way. He's going to think about what he's going to say. Yeah. And so it's not going to be totally off the cuff, but it is going to be raw, unadulterated, unfiltered in the moment what he feels. Qualk, man, look, I know you guys do a fantastic job. It's been uh, tough times. Um, I I think that you will certainly agree that uh, we have seen some very positive things coming out of all of this so far. But the thing that I've been telling everybody is the famous line, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world and, you know, do things that are out of the ordinary. And I, I think that this program is where it is because they have done things out of the ordinary. And I, I think that, if anybody's going to lead this charge nationally, I wouldn't be shocked in the least if it's Davos winning the Clemson Tigers. Would you agree? I would agree. And look, it is easier, and I'm not trying to take away from anything that's happening elsewhere because I think a lot of the efforts are good. And I don't have anything negative to say about Will Champ in South Carolina and what they did in registering to vote. Like, I just, whether you agree with how they're going to vote or not, I just think it's terrific to, to get people involved in, in, in being the change that he talked about. Yeah. But it is a little easier when you're in Columbia and they're already having rallies and marches and things like that to just sort of latch on to one or to have one. 
what Jeff Scott did in Tampa. It makes right. sense because they were they, there were a lot of things going on in Tampa. And I'm not look, I'm not trying to take away, but like Clemson isn't having a Black Lives Matter rally out here right now. A lot of places they do, like Georgia Tech, encouraging their players to go and get involved in what's going on in Atlanta. And these are all sort of proximity arguments where it's happening right here, go and be a part, and not really establish something new. I don't know what they're going to do here, but I would agree uh, Clemson is, is going to be – I think Clemson's program is going to be a voice of – even Trevor Lawrence. I mean, what Trevor Lawrence says is beautiful um, uh, with regards to all this. And I'll say this, too. I think it is really interesting that a lot of people are not taking the words of the black athletes at Clemson when they say we're good with Dabo. Right. And a lot of white people are going, hey, we need to, we need to listen more, and uh, you guys can speak now. But when they say no, Dabo's good, they're like, no, 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 he didn't address it right. I think that says a little something about some of the people who are being critical of Dabo that his players don't have that same criticism of him. Well, and I'll tell you one thing we've learned for – as young as he is and still has as early on in his career as he is, boy, if I am an NFL GM, I'm looking at Trevor Lawrence and I'm going, holy smokes, this guy gets it. Well, yes. And, and what I'm going to say, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that Drew Brees doesn't have the right to say what he said. I think, I think what he said is fine. I think we ought to give a little bit of grace for sure about opinions that are a little bit ancillary. But what Drew Brees said about, um, I'll, you know, I'll never support anybody who disrespects the anthem like that. I wasn't so concerned with it from that standpoint as you got to lead 52 other dudes. A lot of them disagree. Sometimes it's better to not say the full thing you're feeling because you know you have to have influence over them. And I think whether Trevor Lawrence, no matter what he believes, I think he said what the people are going to follow him that you needed him to say. I'm not saying he's being disingenuous by any means. I think he actually feels that stuff. But he said the right things that a leader is supposed to say yeah. when he wants guys to rally around him. And I think that was a mature response from a human standpoint, but also from an on-field and in-the-locker-room leadership standpoint for Trevor. Be a uniter, not a divider. Qualk, always appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, Wani. Be good, buddy. Always a pleasure. William Qualkenbush here on the show that shakes the Southland. Uh, some, some very valid points there. I, I will talk about Drew Brees. A little bit, uh, too. And, you know, these subjects are not the most comfortable subjects in the history of sports talk radio, believe me. But I said this a while back, man, get un- get comfortable being uncomfortable. And yeah, I do have some thoughts on uh, what Drew Brees said and how I think he could have uh, said it better, actually, and still supported what he believes and supported his teammates. Eight zero three four five zero 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 eighty six eight zero three four five zero double zero eighty six. It is Clemson Sports Talk rolling along on a Monday afternoon. Great catching up with our good buddy William Quackenbush. Stay with us. Clemson Sports Talk, Lawton Swan on a Monday. Thank you to William Quackenbush. Lots of, whew, man, could you digest those things? It'd take you a while. But back to the Drew Brees uh, comments and, and statement for a second because I, I think that there are 
you know, Drew Brees has obviously apologized for what he said for offending so many of his uh, teammates and peers, and and I understand that patriotism is something that is um, deep at the core for so many people. And the thing that I think where Drew Brees where where Drew Brees missed the mark and could have said what he wanted to say and and still supported his teammates uh you know the phrase that he used was that he will never this is a quote he will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country and i'll be honest i i think that the majority of americans white black yellow green purple blue or violet tend to believe that they would not want anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America. But the approach that was taken by Colin Kaepernick was not ever, you know, the narrative of that was about disrespecting the flag was introduced by outside influencers and not what Colin Kaepernick uh, intended uh, it was to bring awareness to social injustice and so I, I feel like from that standpoint Drew Brees has a right to say that you know I, I'm not going to kneel because my grandfather fought World War II and, and you know the, this that and the other but the conversely in a land where you know, we're founded on freedom. You can say what he said, but I think you have to preface it by saying, but I support, you know, my teammates' rights to bring awareness by kneeling, and I support them. You can be you can be supportive of the American flag and supportive of the the you know Black Lives Matter cause and so and you know the causes against social injustice. Those two things aren't uh, you know, against one another, nor should they be. If we are truly going to be in the land of the free, in the home of the brave, freedom and justice for all. You you can be someone that supports the flag. 110%. But you can also support other people's rights to raise awareness to their cause, and it doesn't have to be a conflicting statement. But when you when you drive that hard line in the sand, if you're Drew Brees and you say, but if you, you know, I'll never agree with people disrespecting our flag. I don't want to put words in his mouth. Which I think every I really I mean, as an American, I think everybody would say they would, would not agree with somebody disrespecting our flag. But the cause of kneeling to bring awareness was not kneeling in disrespect of the flag. That was not the intent that Colin Kaepernick had and that the Black Lives Matter movement had. The intent was never to be disrespectful to the flag. The intent was to raise awareness for the cause. And so 
you know, I think that it is one thing to say we have freedom in our country and another to tell people how and where they can express their views to bring a cause for concern or justice. That is not a land of freedom. That is a land of you do what the government tells you to do because the government tells you to do. And quite frankly, I think it would be dangerous to live in a land where you have to do what the government tells you to do. That's what we see in other countries around the globe. In a land of freedom and justice, you get to choose those things. And it's never, you know, it's an, it's an uncomfortable topic, but you can't be free, truly free, the, the protections, and I remember we had this conversation years ago, people didn't like it, but that's what my grandfather, who fought in World War II, fought for. Freedom for everybody. Not just freedom to do the things that you agree with, or freedom to do things that somebody else agrees with. And so it's a tough, tough subject, but it's one that, you know, I think your lens, again, and my lens, I... I it's very hard to cross over those lines and to see things from other people's perspective. And when you're Drew Brees, you have every right to say, I won't, I won't kneel for the flag. I'll stand, but I support what my, you know, my brothers in arms on the gridiron stand for. I support their passion for their movement. And if Drew Brees ever chose to kneel to bring awareness uh, to, to the Black Lives Matter movement for the, you know, to raise up social injustice, social injustice, that's his right too. And you know what? In the land of the free and the home of the brave, looking down on somebody for raising the issue of social justice seems like the exact opposite of freedom. You can choose to do what you want to do, and that's the beautiful thing about this country. But you should never degrade somebody for bringing an awareness to a cause, a peaceful awareness. And, and, and if you look further into it, Kaepernick was told by a veteran that kneeling would be the respectful way to protest and not just sitting it out. I mean, there's a lot of threads that weave in there. But you can be pro-flag in the United States and pro-against social injustice. Those things aren't you know, two different causes. They are one in the same because the flag stands for freedom and justice for all. Clemson Sports Talk on a... Monday, I appreciate William Quackenbush giving us his thoughts. And again, I do think Clemson's been under attack. I think a, a big part of it, and it goes back to you know where they sit on the uh, global scale. I think that you know, those convert, or at least on the college football scale, I think also the the Canyon Tuttle tweet not being accurate in the assessment of what happened is so important in in that conversation. And again, Drew Brees has since apologized. His wife has since apologized, and. I do believe, and I, I hope that you kind of could you know, take where I was coming from on that and understand uh, my thought process on it. But 
I believe that, you know, again, I don't pretend to have all the answers, right? And sometimes I feel like Roddy Piper, just when I think I got the answers, they change the questions. But I think we are, again, seeing positive results from the standpoint of the conversations are existing. And I told you about the story last week about my buddy and being that change that you want to see in the world and doing the things that are right. Uh, again, you must be cautious, though, with everything you see on social media. Um, any post that can be attributed to anybody anywhere, it's not, it's not good. And it's dangerous, you know. And, and so I, I think people have poked Dabo Sweeney in the past about being a, quote, Twitter quitter. But there's probably something to be said for not being on social media because if you're not on there, and it, you, know, you, you can't have people attribute things to you that you didn't do. You can't have your account hacked and have somebody post something that you didn't post. Uh, just the, you know, the magnitude of how quickly things spread like wildfire. True or false. Is crazy. And when true things are spread, that's good that the, you know, the, the news can get out there whether it's bad news or good news, it's true news versus the massive amounts of false and phony Twitter accounts and posts and just bot-like activities that exist on social media. That's an area that Twitter and Facebook and Google and whoever, really, I mean, it's a human problem. <laughs> but we we want our tech giants to fix it. You know? It's like, hey, could we stop people from posting all this fake fake news? Could we get, you know, I don't believe Abraham Lincoln tweeted anything in his life. I think that's a false story. But do I have to mark it because somebody posted it, right? Like, that's what I feel like I am now. I'm like the fake false news journalist police. And it's gotten so bad. <laughs> it's gotten so bad on some of these fronts, man. You, you like, you can find something on Snopes, you know, that used to be the, the place that debugged all of the phony stuff. And now you go, Hey man, look, I just looked into this on Snopes and Snopes has got all the documented evidence. Like a good paper would have like, here's this, here's that, here's that. And somebody will go, man, you can't trust Snopes anymore. <laughs> I'm like, man, that's their job. That's what they do. They fact check all this garbage that's out there. <laughs> Can't trust Snopes. Oh boy. So it's been it's been something. I, I'm ready for uh Clemson to get back after it. I'll tell you that much. I am ready to, for Clemson to get back after it and give us uh, some college football stories. But I do think that some of the some of the targeting, so to speak, of Clemson comes from where they sit. And that's why I think that Dabo Sweeney's got to be out in front. And when it comes down to when they look back on uh, this moment where you see players coming to the defense of Dabo Sweeney, multiple players, Brandon Ford, former guest of this program, saying, uh, addressing the conversation that was said about Dabo Sweeney um, you know, walking into the locker room and the N-word was being played on the stereo. A former Clemson running back had mentioned something about uh, Dabo Sweeney saying something there and Brandon Ford saying, bro, not telling you how you should have addressed it, 
but I was there, and it's false. I don't recall him saying the M-word at all. And I was the one playing the music. And he had all kinds of profanity going on because we all play the unfiltered versions. Uh, Brighton Constantine says to a response from Bamani Jones calling out Dabo Sweeney for uh, not doing enough. Uh, Brighton Constantine says, Coach Sweeney is not bringing pain to this team or any of us as players. He's the most honest and humble coach of college football, so don't come shooting at his character like you know him or know what goes on with this team. I promise you. Uh, Trevor Lawrence talking about the shirt that Dabo Sweeney was wearing. He said, Coach Sweeney's shirt is not in any way black, mocking Black Lives Matter. Uh, he's been wearing that shirt for months in meetings. Uh, Amir Sims says, y'all get off Dabo, man. At this point, y'all trying to fill headlines, and that's just sad. Mike Jones, by the way, Mike Jones crushed somebody on social media this week uh, who tried to come at him about how about how he was only in school to get to the NFL. Mike Jones fired back at this guy a photo of the back of his helmet. And uh, it said, you see those 3.0s down the back of my helmet? That's because that's been my GPA. And he talked about how it was more. I'll, I'll find that tweet from Mike Jones. Good for Mike Jones for standing up against the, the Twitter garbage that can be out there sometimes. But Mike Jones said, my faith will always come first in my life. That's why I chose to come play for this program and this coaching staff. It's deeper than football. And so on and on and on, numerous accounts weighing in on uh, Coach Sweeney and, and you know his character and what he stands for at Clemson. And this guy responded to Mike Jones and said, that's not a racist comment, it's the truth. Are you going to tell me he cares about his education? All he needs is a way to make it to the NFL. I'm not racist. I'm, not, I'm a realist. And I'm a Hispanic American, by the way. That's from uh, Buffalo Will on Twitter. Mike Jones responded to that with this gem. He said, if you look at the white stripe on my helmet, you could see three 3.0 stickers every semester. I've had at least a 3.0. My education means everything to me. Football isn't forever. I'm more than an athlete. That doesn't make you proud. I don't know what will. To see those guys uh, rallying around Dabo while from the outside – uh, so many trying to beat the man down, but that's to be expected, man. When you're on top, people are going to come shooting for you. They're going to come trying to knock you down in any way, shape, or form. And I've said it since last week. Dabo Sweeney was not as polished, didn't say all the things he needed to say, but he opened his mic. And I, and I know this every day that I do this show, man. I Even in the segments previous, I probably didn't say everything I needed to say or should have said because sometimes you just miss some of those key points that you would have liked to have made. Final segment. Well, I don't think there's a way for me to play the, uh, (laughs) <laughs> the uh, wrap up the show music. Dag nabbit. I was so busy during the break, I didn't get it in there. So one of the rare occasions where uh, we do not get a chance to hear the um, the outro. I could probably. You know what? I'm such. I'm so. I'm so sneaky. I could probably figure out how to do it. But I'll, I'll pass. I know the guys back at the studio will be like, "Swanee, you mess something up." So. We'll just roll without the hype video. It's been rare 
in our history of this program that we hadn't gotten that in. Um, again, these are tough topics. They're topics that in a normal college football calendar year, no COVID-19, um, you know, sports going on, sometimes these things are, are left to other you know, other venues, but they are here now because so many athletes are directly affected. And it is, I think, for me, eye-opening to listen more and speak less, ironically. And when I'm not talking to you for two hours, that's what I'm trying to do. And that's what I would encourage you to continue to do. You cannot carry hate in your heart. You, we have to move forward together. We, we, you know, a we can't, we can't change yesterday. So we got to be focusing on uh, doing better. And while I I know that the conversations that are out there for so many of you are still very much uh, difficult to have. Do your best to begin getting comfortable being uncomfortable and reaching out to people you haven't talked to and listening to to their thoughts on everything that's going on because we have to be better. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else in the world, but that doesn't mean that we can't look at ourselves and say, what can we do to be better? I, you know, when we talk to kids, you, know, you, you tell them, don't have a fixed mindset, have a growth mindset. Fixed mindset is just running in that wall over and over and over and over and over, never changing anything. Yep, still going to be running in that wall 20 years from now. Have a growth mindset. What can you do to get around the wall, over the wall, under the wall, through the wall? And from that standpoint, in your job, you didn't just get the job that you have or the job that you work uh, just to be where you are 20, 30 years from now when you retire from where you were the day you started. You're constantly trying to improve. There, the great thing about our country and our nation and our constitution, it's living. It's a live document. And when the founding fathers founded this land, they didn't found it as, hey, this is going to be the utopia and we're never going to have any problems. But I can, I can tell you this. If you don't square up on the major issues that exist, you're just banging your head against the wall. And I appreciate that these conversations exist. I appreciate that you listen and hear my thoughts. And I don't claim to know all the answers. I don't claim to have them. But I hope that I can at least help you begin to think through you know, a different perspective. And maybe some of you say, Swanee, I'm with you. I've, I've been with you from day one. And some of you might say, Swanee, I'm not exactly picking up what you're putting down just yet, but I'm listening. And that's where it begins. We listen. And I, I know that Dutch Coleman did a tremendous job the other day. 
I haven't had a chance to hear it. Uh, he was on, I think, Walt Deptula's show for maybe two hours. But we listen. And we grow. And we we got to be willing to do those things. And so from that standpoint, from the Clemson fan, as you heard the passion in Quark's, in, in Quark's mind, from the way you know he feels like Clemson's been attacked on this front. And... I certainly see that as well. But to think that on June the 8th, 2020, that it's over from the standpoint of what Clemson is going to be doing, I think it's naive. Maybe I'm wrong. And then you got a chance to really beat up on uh you know, the coach Sweeney and those guys, in my opinion, because I think more still has to be done. You see other coaches doing it, but it can't be, it can't be fake because the solutions that we want kids to have to those problems with a growth mindset is not to cheat to get around that wall. It's to do things the right way. It's not about a photo op. It's about doing it the right way and helping, listening, and learning. And I I think that coaches in college football have a tremendous platform and have the reach that so many other people don't. And you're beginning to see that taking place. It is a unique time in sports. A time that some would say, man, Swanee, it must be tough for you to do this job. Some days it is, guys. But I feel like if you talk from your heart and you're honest and you do the best you can, you're doing the service to the listener that you guys deserve. And that's what I try to do here. And I know I can't hit all the points. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock everything out of the park every time. But I am willing to listen, I'm willing to grow, I'm willing to learn, because I want to be better. Be better at this job. Be better at home as a parent, but for our society to be a better American, to be a better human being. And I, I hope that we're all growing and taking those steps to figure out how to get, you know, that growth mindset for everyone. We gotta get out of here. We'll be back tomorrow on the Tuesday. Appreciate you hanging out. Again, as always, y'all take care now. And go tigers!